general nerdery. There are two generals of nerdery in this podcast about liking things. These are their stories. Down, 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 down. I don't remember how to do the theme song. I just listened to it. It's already gone. Oh, pitter patter, Zach. Well, pitter patter. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> as, as, as mentioned here, obviously this is well planned out. Uh, this is General Nerdery. It's a podcast about liking things. We here are your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. And uh, we're here today to talk to you about Letterkenny, specifically Letterkenny Season 1. Which uh, I highly appreciated only being six episodes long. <laughs> yeah, it made it real easy to be like, oh, let's do an entire season. I, I said that at first and you gave me this kind of like wide eyed look. And I'm like, no, 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 it's OK. Well, because, OK, I, I've talked about you. I've, I've talked about this with you before. We tried doing seasons of TV on Fried Squirms once. And doing all three seasons of Hannibal in three weeks was trying. That's a lot. <laughs> that Watching any Hannibal is a lot. Um, it's really good. It just, oh, I couldn't do it. It gave me nightmares. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, not me so much, but that's why I do that show. So, <laughs> yes, well, I don't. I'm not the horror movie podcast guy here, Tyler. I know. That's, I know. Uh, it, it, it's not my. That's thing. why we have this. That's why we have this yeah. general nerdery, and we can talk about comics and Letterkenny, Letterkenny, <laughs> all sorts of fun stuff. Uh, what are we starting with? Are we going to start with ingesting again? Are we going to just start with ingesting from now on? That's what we decided. I think so. I, I I like it. It's a nice way to start off. Of hey, I haven't seen you in a minute. What have we been? I mean, I actually haven't seen you guys, most anyone, in a minute. Thanks to fucking COVID. Anyways, uh, yeah. What what have you been ingesting? What what have you been taking in? Oh, I feel like it's been a lot more than usual this week. Um, let me see. So, uh, doing research for the Dick Grayson episode inspired me to kind of want to get through some more storylines that I'd been putting off for a bit since I uh, read Judas Contract for that one. So. Mm-hmm. This week, I finally got around to reading The Long Halloween. Since Oh, right. You were telling me about that. Yeah, right. Well, it, it kind of plays into almost every week in the news, we're talking about the Matt Reeves Batman. And I've seen more and more people being like, oh, well, yeah, it's obvious with this casting, they're doing The Long Halloween. And I'm like, is it obvious? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> read the storyline. This means nothing to me. Uh, so I finally read it. I uh, really, really dug it. I could see how they could be doing something long Halloween-y. I kind of think it's going to be a little bit more long Halloween mixed with year one. And I think there's enough overlap and similarities in those stories that you could do something with that. Yeah, they were, they all kind of take place in the year one era, for lack of a better term. The, the early Batman. Um what I like about Long Halloween is, do you own Arkham City? Because if you do, go find Calendar Man in it again. I don't remember if that's an asylum or city. Oh, right. No, 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 no. That's, uh, I can't remember which it is. It might be Asylum. I think he's down in the basement. I might but be remembering you, you that wrong. Find... I've played them both. And yeah, uh, Calendar Man, running into him. <laughs> yeah, you go find Calendar Man and he'll say stuff based off the date. That mm-hmm. is so much cooler after you've read Long Halloween and you understand why Calendar Man is like actually sort of creepy. Right. As uh... opposed to fucking <laughs> pathetic. <laughs> that was a really neat story. I'm going to continue probably knocking off some 
comics off my to read list because I've been kind of trying to substitute in something else for uh, reading the news while at work. Yeah, that's a good plan. Uh, I definitely recommend Dark Victory. It's the follow up. Oh, OK, the I don't think it's quite as strong as Long Halloween, but it is very good still. Like it's that same creative team and they're a, a strong pairing. Kind of on that same front, I've been continuing to get caught up on Harley Quinn. I'm loving the take on No Man's Land that they're doing in season two. Oh, I haven't started season two yet. Uh, I'm still pretty early in season two, but they're doing an interesting take on No Man's Land. So, well, that's good. Let's see. I started watching Shit's Creek, which is kind of funny that because it is also like all small town sitcom based, like Letterkenny, but much much different. But uh, mm -hmm. Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, that kind of sold me uh, right away. Anyway, it had just I needed the extra time, and then I got caught up on everything else thanks to COVID. So uh, I finally got to start in on it. I'm really liking that. And there was one other movie that I watched, but I'm going to save it for the end of the show and use it as my recommendation. Perfect. Let's see. What if I I, uh, I mentioned in the Dick Grayson episode, I think I, I listen. I always try to listen to our past episodes just so I can be like, oh, what can I do better? But I listened to two in a row today, so they're automatically just blurring. <laughs> but I mentioned that I had been listening to the Belgariad audiobooks, which is a series by David Eddings um, that I am. I've been reading since I was a kid. Like, I think I first read it in middle school and I've, as I said, probably read it 15 times at least. Uh, and it, it's always fun because it's going back to old friends, basically. Uh, and the, the series is very much about prophecy. There's, it, it's kind of an examination of prophecy and fantasy. Mm -hmm. And then they made us, or yep, they, cause it's, it's credited to David Eddings, but, He's very clear that his wife was heavily involved in the writing, but because it was the 80s, she didn't receive proper writing credit. OK, uh, so David and Leigh Eddings, but they wrote a sequel series called The Malorian, which is kind of an examination of sequels in its own right. Like it's it's very repetitive. A lot of almost every beat that happens in the original series happens in this one, hmm. but they acknowledge that this is happening and they look at it uh, with the idea of this prophecy is stuck having people go in a cycle until the prophecy is complete. It's kind of weird, but it's it's kind of a way of looking at the it's nature of sequels being basically a repeat of the first while still doing that. This has all happened before and will all happen again. That's cool. Yeah. Or they're trying to make it so it won't happen again. Like, and the idea is until mm -hmm. this prophecy comes true, the world is just kind of stuck in a loop. Even if it's not the exact same thing happening, it's the same repetition. Okay. Uh, and I like it a little better because the main characters have been aged up a little bit. They're like 25 instead of 15, 16. So they're a little less... The author described it as I aged them up so they wouldn't have quite as much bubblegum in their hair. And that kind of sums it up like that. OK, teenagers are obnoxious. Yeah. Yeah. I can and we can get away from them being as quite as teenager obnoxious in it. Uh, 
And then the other one that I've been is I finally broke and bought Assassin's Creed Black Flag for the Switch. I have been staring at it for months, like since I got the Switch, basically. But it was 40% off and the world is ending. So I decided that I was going to be a pirate. And I have not regretted a second of it. No, and I didn't play that one through to completion. But holy cow, um, just cruising around on your ship is awesome enough. The sea shanties ratcheted it up. Oh, yeah. I have just like I've I've played before, though I've never finished it, but I have just gotten to the point where I am finally like able to start upgrading my ship. Okay, because, you know, you have to you have to go through the basic storyline. You have to like uh, sneak in, pretend to be an assassin, basically become an assassin, get kidnapped, get your or take over the ship that you were kidnapped on to escape with said ship, yada, yada, yada. And just now they're like, oh, here's how you upgrade the Jackdaw. I'm like, finally, I'm going to abandon the main storyline for quite a while as I just go a pirating. Oh, that's going to be fun. I'm excited for you. And maybe sing all of the songs from Muppet Treasure Island to myself while doing this, because those are the sea shanties I know best. Occasionally, while closing at work, I will throw on the Black Flag soundtrack just to listen to all the sea shanties. It's been pretty great <laughs> sea shanties are great excellent I'll, I'll back that yeah uh those are my big two things of the week i've i've always reading like a thousand fucking things and then the moment they're like oh what have we been reading i'm like uh stuff i'm i just i'm glad i finally had something new to bring to the table other than oh yeah i just sat around and played for honor again which also i did that but well yeah i also okay. got in a whole lot of new shit I got in a whole lot of stuff. I, I watched a ton just in general. I rewatched a ton of Barry and Battlestar Galactica as well. Like, I've just been on a media kick. It's been great. Well, between COVID and then in the last week, the weather here in Montana has been kind of garbage. So it's been a good time to, like, really get through some stuff. Um, I was going to try to turn that into a good segue into the news, but I I blanked, so... I got news. Insert new segue here. Uh, so last week, <laughs> man, we we talked about this story just one day too early. Because last week we were talking about they dropped the one Dune pick of Timothy Chalamet. And then the very next morning, Variety dropped eight more pictures with one extra one of Zendaya later on Instagram that day. Oh, man, it looked so cool. Uh, so do you have any extra thoughts now that we've seen even more from Dune? I have a lot more confidence in this movie now that I am seeing imagery of it, as I've been very not shutting up about. I'm not convinced Dune can be done as a movie, but it looks fucking cool. Zendaya looks I'm not sure how old Zendaya is. I don't think she's actually that much younger than me, but she does look much more age appropriate. And so does, you said Timothy Chalamet? Yeah. I, I don't know him, so the it's not stuck with me yet. They both look more age-appropriate to Dune than the David Lynch characters did, the versions of Paul and Chani. Zendaya looks awesome in her still suit. Yes. Um, Jason Momoa looks great as Duncan Idaho. I really hope we get more 
of the Dune series, not just the first one, partly just to watch the crazy shit that they're going to make Jason Momoa do if we keep, if especially if we get to like God Emperor. All the Duncan Golas. Just, God Emperor is the weirdest goddamn book I have ever read in my life. And I was on the top of a mountain 10 miles from the nearest road for three weeks straight working on a trail crew and reading God Emperor every night. And it was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. But I will love God Emperor forever. Whether I like that book or not is sometimes debatable, but I would love it just for the like sheer what the fuckery of it. Let's see. I'm pretty sure that I got pregnant from that look that Oscar Isaac is giving as uh, Duke Leto Atreides. Oh, it's going to be super sad when he bites the fucking bullet and he it, it's going to happen hard. Yeah. Uh, dude, yeah, everything's looking really good. I can't wait to see like a sandworm. Yeah. Oh, I want to see that. Uh, I did read they were talking about how. Because they're in, I don't remember what desert they're in during the filming, but it is one of the like hottest places in Earth on Earth. And then they're in these still suits, and still suits are supposed to keep you cool, but these are not real working, <laughs> passing water through still suits. Right, they're, they're just not real. Fucking rubber. <laughs> uh, so there's even hotter, and they're like, they're they're actually losing water weight filming this. Like they're talking about how grueling it is in this like 125 degree weather basically <laughs> uh, and I'm like shit man that's that's basically what Arrakis is at all times right oh man that's that sucks for them but that's kind of funny it's like yeah Dude, we're in still in suits but they're, not but they're not really still suits guys so this blows <laughs> Dune made me really fall in love with the idea of desert culture, but it also made me very clear that I never wanted to live in desert culture. Yeah, no, fair. <laughs> Netflix has signed a deal, uh, a first look deal with Boom Comics. Boom? I'm trying to think of... I don't own many Boom Comics. I'm looking over at my... Collection and like Boom is one of the smallest areas. They used to have the Warhammer license, although I think that's on Titan anymore. Uh, Lumberjanes is one of their biggest success stories. Uh, Mouse Guard, that's about it. Oh, Mouse Guard, maybe Mouse Guard will finally get made for something. They've been trying for 10 years, so no. I mean, no properties are mentioned or anything, but uh, as things get optioned from Boom, Netflix gets to take the first look at them and decide whether they want to try to do it or not before it goes on, uh, which means that properties are going to start being looked at, because why not? So maybe, like you said, maybe we will finally get Mouse Guard. So. That'd be great. Um, I like Boom. Anything I've ever read from them have been good, but it's... Nothing world changing really in it. Um, looking them up now. Oh, I didn't realize they owned Arkia Entertainment, which uh, did. What did Arkia do? Oh, they did the uh, Dark Crystal books that have been really good. Mm. Lumberjanes. That's about it. Okay, they're good. I like it. They make good comics. That just there's no like big boom book that I'm like, oh, holy shit. This is my saga. Rack Queens, whatever. Mm -hmm. 
So we talked about this some back when it was more of a rumor, but Sam Raimi has been confirmed to be directing Doctor Strange 2. What a strange thing. <laughs> like, it makes sense the moment that you think about it. Because he's done horror and mm-hmm. he's done superheroes before. But, like, I think of Sam Raimi and I think of, you know, original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man being like, wow, you've gone full circle and come back. And you might, like, depending on how things go, depending on how he works with this, it's possible he could end up directing something with Tom, not Tom Hiddleston. Um, uh, Tom Holland. Tom Holland. Thank you. Tom Holland. And he might be the first person to direct two different Spider-Men, depending on how this goes. Which would be amazing. That'd be awesome. Especially since I we thought- already have uh, J.K. Simmons, J. Jonah Jameson back. It increases the chances of getting more of it. Yeah. Uh, I am not a huge Raimi fan because he mostly is known for doing kind of low budget horror movies. And it's not your bag. I'm not a low budget horror guy, (laughs) but I love Bruce Campbell with a fierce passion. And Army of Darkness is one of my favorite films. So awesome. Spider-Man 2 is still one of the better superhero movies ever made, especially when you put it in the context of when it was made. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think in a lot of ways it probably held up better than, say, like the Dark Knight series. And, of course, this just means that we will get Bruce Campbell in at least some sort of cameo role in the MC universe. Oh, yeah. Man, if Bruce Campbell was like, 15, 20 years younger, I would totally cast him as Simon Williams, a.k.a. Wonder Man. Okay. Who's kind of a schlocky B-movie actor (laughs) who becomes a superhero. Like, it would be perfect. That's my dream casting, like 90s era Bruce Campbell. Could he just still be aged up even more washed out Wonder Wonder Man? I'll accept it. That's fine. Just... (laughs) Bruce Campbell. <laughs> yeah, just just Bruce. <laughs> well, I mean, we already had Goldblum playing Goldblum in Thor Ragnarok, so. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so this is interesting. J.J. Abrams has set his first three shows that he's going to be doing for HBO Max. So there's Duster, which, as far as I know, isn't connected to anything. It's about a getaway driver in the 70s. Could be really interesting. It's just not connected to anything we already know. The other two so are... So if he's, if he's making three shows, how much is he actually involved in these shows? Or is he just kind of like, here's my idea, pass them off to someone else? I think... I don't know how much he'll be involved in Duster. Uh, this next one that I'm going to mention, I have a feeling he's going to be the most heavily involved with uh that's going to be overlook which is going to be a that's the shining isn't it yeah a weird spin-off of the shining focused on the hotel uh jj is a gigantic shining fan uh it's bad robot that did the super meticulous super well done 4k transfer of the shining that came out just last year because he's a giant well, fan and The Shining is the kind of story that would fit that you could really fit the mystery box that J.J. Abrams loves to use so much into it. So Duster, Overlook, and the other one is 
Justice League Dark. This is the one that I had heard about. Uh, like every other Justice League Dark thing, I will believe it more when we get there. I think it's a great idea. I don't I am not a huge J.J. Abrams fan. I don't dislike J.J. Abrams. So that's fine. He he's shown that he can do weird enough that it's at least possible to work. But I have been burned too many times by announcements about Justice League Dark to get excited <laughs> before I actually say, like, get to where we are with Dune. Show me those fucking picks, and I'll start being excited. Uh, so I know that we both have enjoyed the most recent Justice League Dark run. How much of that do you think they use in a world where they probably can't use Wonder Woman? Or do you think we're still going to get a... If it goes through, do you think we're going to get a lineup more like what uh, Guillermo intended? I suspect it'll be a more traditional Justice League Dark, or I say traditional, I mean no more like New 52. I expect Zatanna will appear. Zatanna seems exactly like the kind of person that JJ would love, uh, and she absolutely belongs. Constantine, obviously. Swamp Thing, maybe... I would love to see Detective Chimp, but that seems unlikely to me, or at least on any kind of like regular occurrence. But Detective Chimp, beyond just being a immortal detective chimpanzee, which is the perfect comic book concept, it seems like he would be expensive. Right. And I would love to see Kurt Langstrom as Man Bat. Seems unlikely as well. Similar reasons. I expect we'll see maybe Dr. Fate. Uh, Dr. Cult, maybe, or someone like Rose. Um, Dead Man? Dead Man could probably be done significantly cheaper. Uh, and what's her name? The the card lady, uh, Madame Xanadu. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can see her being done. Black Orchid, maybe she was in the New 52 version for a while. If they do it, I just hope they blow... Uh half of the season's budget on one battle scene where I get to see Swamp Thing and uh, the demon just completely unleashing on whatever. Just go to town. Special effects bonanza with those two heavy hitters and I'll be happy. Jason Blood and the demon would be another obvious choice. I mean, they'll probably use the the, the characters that are like the A-list DC magic characters, which means they're kind of like B-list, C-list when it comes to actually being known by mm -hmm. the wider public, but that's okay. Yeah, that's These fine. These are the kind of characters that are my bread and butter, so... Mine as well. Oh, this has uh, me excited yeah, that it might actually happen now that it seems to have a little bit firmer ground with uh, it being something that JJ's doing under his deal with HBO, but... I, I will be very happy. It's inevitable that a Justice League Dark comes out. They have been trying for so long. But I'm not going to hold my breath until I actually see something. And it really should have been Guillermo anyway. Yeah, but I'm not surprised at all that Guillermo got distracted and wandered off. He does that about 15 times a day. <laughs> uh, this is super, super early. And is something that could still end up getting stuck in development hell or just not happen. But Universal is pairing with Amesia uh, Entertainment or Productions or something 
uh, to do another Green Hornet move me, movie. Awesome. I love the I love the Green Hornet, and I would love to get the taste of the Seth Rogen Green Hornet out of my mouth <laughs> and have a good one. Like it can be done. It could very easily be done. Yeah. But not with that. <laughs> I I want it to be done well. I'm not sure what it would look like done well uh, these days, but I hope something good happens with it. I'm excited they're at least looking at the property again because that just ups the chances of it happening, you know, at all. So, yeah, um, I'm not sure who they would be using for Cato these days. I'm a little behind on my martial art movies. Yeah, I'm not sure. But Cato is going to be the most important casting choice at the end of the day. Agreed. I would I would like seeing a woman Cato. It's been done a couple of times in the comics. It's always pretty good. Uh, you know, get maybe get the lady that's playing Mulan in the upcoming Mulan movie. She'd be a kick-ass Kato. Oh, there we go. Yeah, I'd yeah, have to think about that more myself, but it sounds like I'll have time because this is still super early on. So, yeah, I mean, it, it the the last one took like fifteen years to get made, and they went through about six actors before they settled on the guy that was fine. Mm-hmm. He was the best part of it. It was just everything else. Oh, let's see here. So, San Diego Comic-Con finally got canceled. Oh, fucking duh. Sorry. I just... Any convention, any big thing that hasn't canceled this year yet is kind of kidding itself, if we're being honest. Uh, Yeah, that one was just kind of a matter of time. I... I kind of get them holding out as long as they did. Maybe not as long as they did once we started to see how slowly some of the measures were being put in place. But the idea of holding out as long as they did, considering who they are and the fact that they're still canceling three and a half months out. It's not like they waited until the month before. They're not till August. Something like that. Uh, July. End of July. Yeah, that's... uh... I understand why, but like, let's be honest, this is not even after the stay at home orders calm down. This is not the year to go into a convention center with 10,000 other people. No, no. Um, I think they were just banking on the fact that somebody somebody is going to accidentally time it right with the end of this. And they might have been being hopeful but it's like I said, it's not like they waited till like a month before. They're still canceling it like three and a half months before. It's just they didn't cancel yeah. it as early as some of the others. And you know, I'm being mean with my like, oh no, fuck it, just cancel. But I just, it's where I'm at at this point. Like let's let's not pretend that 2020 is the year of any kind of social <laughs> gatherings. So, Diamond is going to start shipping again. End of May, I want to say. I was reading about this. But the more interesting wrinkle to this is DC has worked out a deal where they're going to start shipping some of their titles uh, as early as next Wednesday. 
Yeah, through they made a deal with Midtown Comics, who has been dealing with Midtown is an actual comic company, but it is not comic company, but like comic shop. But they've been dealing with a lot of DC's collectible sides of things. They're like the biggest comic shop, I think, in the world at this point. I've been seeing ads for Midtown Comics in in comics for years, and they set up two companies that are smaller distribution companies. I do not have their names. Uh, Lunar Distribution and UCS Comic Distributors. Uh, and it's really unclear that if the if these are two are like stop gaps until until Diamond is back up and running at full strength again, or if DC is making a power play against Diamond. And I fucking hope it's the second one. DC and Marvel in the past have had their own distribution at different times, right? Am I remembering that right? I want to say yes. I don't know for sure because of all the things I know about comic books, the distribution side is my weakest area of knowledge. Mm -hmm. But Diamond didn't have its stranglehold over the industry until sometime in the 90s. So before that, there had to have been something. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do know that the company that published DC, or I guess DC that published, uh, also published Marvel for a while, way, way back in the day, back when they were still Atlas. And they were like, okay, we control your publishing. You were only allowed to publish 10 books a month. Hmm. And it just fucking crashed the company for a while. Yeah. It almost took out the competition. I would imagine. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. We keep bringing up Diamond, but it's because they have the stranglehold, like you said. Um, Which, I mean, it's not just like you said. It's true. They have. We listed off the first time we brought them up. Uh, up uh, what they all have uh, first distribution rights to. And it's basically everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as we've talked about, we are at a point here with everything kind of being put on hold that we're in a position that the comic industry could actually have some much needed changes happen because of a disruption of the system makes it easier that like when we come back, we don't come back exactly the same as we were before, but they have to choose to do that. And I am DC's move here is the first signs that they might be willing to. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know that it kind of caught everyone by surprise. It sounds like Jim Lee was a big name behind this. I fucking love Jim Lee. So that's great. I mean, he was an image founder, so he's always been a little willing to like shake things up. Mm -hmm. But I don't know if he communicated with the lower levels that well, because I know a lot of DC comics people were caught by surprise when they're like, wait, we're coming back when? (laughs) 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 I know they did put off, I think it's issue 95, the the next issue of Batman, which was going to be a pretty big issue. And they delayed it by, I think, a month to make sure that it would get a proper number of orders because I don't think they're expecting huge orders for next Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. So the last the last two things are uh, are kind of just one big news glut. Kind of like last week, we had the entire Disney shakeup. Uh, this week, it's Warner. But this week is kind of weird. <laughs> The first thing is, on the TV side, 
the Flash's season will be cut short by four episodes. That might not be a bad thing. The Flash has always struggled with a few more episodes than it needs. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. And I think this is just going to further show that because uh, with that news, they revealed that it was supposed to end on a big uh, reverse Flash cliffhanger and it will no longer end on that. But even cutting out four episodes, they're ending on a big cliffhanger that is still big enough to be a series finale. And I'm like, well, why do you need four extra episodes then? That's fine. That's great. Uh, but then on the movie side, this is where it gets weird because we keep hearing about things getting put off due to Corona. And a little bit is, of that has happened. The Batman was scheduled for June 2021 and is now scheduled for October 2021. The Batman has had better luck than, say, New Mutants on the when the hell are they going to let it come out? And I super understand, like, they could not keep filming during Corona. That would have been wildly unethical. But damn, this poor movie. There's a, I'm seeing a lot of people thinking it might be a better slot for it, though. Uh, the October release will put it in the same slot that Joker actually released. Yeah, and it kind of ties in with, like, I could see people being like, oh, let's go watch Batman on Halloween. That makes sense to me. Like, it, it, it there's a motif fit there. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> however, The Flash has been moved up by a month. Wait, they moved it. Do they even have a director at this point? Uh, yes, Andy Muschietti, who did uh, It. Okay. Uh, but it got moved up from July 2022 to June 2022. I guess as long as Ezra, Ezra Miller, right? Yeah, that's the other thing. He's been in a little bit of weird news lately that we haven't covered on here. So I still don't. I think there's even less of a chance that that movie's going to happen now, but. Oh, jeez. It's one of those ones that I'm like, well, just admit it. It's okay. If it doesn't happen, that's fine. And this one, I fear what this could do to this movie. Uh, the Shazam sequel is being delayed from April 1st, 2022 to November 2022. And that kid is not getting any younger. <laughs> Yeah, that's a hard one to... <sighs> there is a limit on how long you can do Shazam movies because you have to have the character as a kid. At some point, a fully grown man saying Shazam and turning into an old Zachary Levi just gets weird. Yeah. Well, and when I've read that bit of news and I started thinking about it, I'm like, oh, no. Even though I enjoyed the movie, wasn't my favorite, but I don't think I was necessarily the target audience. I think it may have been a mistake. They probably should have done an animated Shazam. Shazam, Captain Marvel, however you want to call it, I just automatically go for Captain Marvel, um, is one of those properties that is pretty well built for animated, so I'm, I'm definitely behind that idea. And I think that we should be more comfortable with big feature animated movies again like that used to not be such a revolutionary thing mm -hmm. and then it became like oh my god 
We couldn't possibly do full-length animated movies that we actually treat seriously. And I miss that. I mean, we got Enter the Spider-Verse, and that kind of makes my point, because one, it's the only one I can think of recently, and two, I mean, I guess other than Pixar, and two, Into the Spider-Verse was fucking amazing. Yeah, phenomenal. So... So phenomenal. So give us more stuff like that. Well, they didn't. They gave us live action, and now we'll see what happens with the sequel since it's being pushed back. And the kid yeah, will be, okay. like, 52 by the time it gets made. I mean, to be fair, I would watch... I would watch a full-grown man turn into an octogenarian superhero. Like, there's something kind of interesting about that idea. <laughs> it's a bad idea, but I would watch it. <laughs> Uh, that's all I got for news this week. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break, and then we'll dive into the world of Letterkenny. So, we picked Letterkenny for two different reasons. One, I have been trying to get you to watch Letterkenny since we started doing this. <laughs> uh, so I can have more people to talk about Letterkenny with. And two, we decided to do kind of a new thing for this episode and the next episode of reviewing something that one of us had no prior experience with because we've not done that before. We, you know, we both had a lot of experience with Kevin Smith films or we both had like, you'd seen some Star Trek, if not a ton mm -hmm. uh, going into something not blind, but uh, about as fresh faced as you can be was something that I thought might be kind of fun for us to do. So first this week we're doing letter Kenny next week. We're doing what we do in the shadows, which I have not seen, but have wanted to. So it gives me a great excuse to do it, but we ended up watching letter Kenny season one letter. Kenny was, uh, it's a Canadian show created by Jared Kiso. Apparently it was, it was originally a Twitter account that just like updated people from the town of letter Kenny and then it got cool. turned into a YouTube channel called Lettered Kenny Problems, which I have not seen. And then he shopped around and turned it into a TV show that I have seen now many times. And now I've seen the first season. And now you've and seen the times. first season. <laughs> One and a half times? One and a half times. I was going to try to get through it uh, two full times and didn't give myself enough time this morning. Since yeah, this happens, morning is 420 and I don't know, some time simply disappeared somewhere. Yeah, you know, uh, I, because I've been laughing about this all day because we're recording this on 420. We're recording this on the day that the previous episode came out. Our 420 episode in the year 2020 was our 20th episode. I've been just happy about that for no reason all day. Is 20 it, on uh, 420, so 2020. Great, right? um, I love when anyways. shit like that lines up. Anyway, <laughs> letter Kenny, uh, I guess. Did you enjoy it? What did you? What did I you did think enjoy of this it. weird fucking show? I did enjoy it. This does feel like a first season. Yeah, it was really interesting to watch the first season again. After I mean, I'm up through season eight or whatever's out, and seeing how some of the characters have evolved in ways that I'm not going to talk about much here because you haven't seen it yet. But right. However, uh, since they are up to season eight, I do want to say that. Uh, let's just go full on spoilers for this episode so we can talk about everything that happens this season if we need to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. 
And that's the warning to all of you that we're going to give away season one spoilers probably over the course of our discussion. But there's eight seasons now, so fuck you. Yeah, it's been five <laughs> years. It's been five years, man. It's okay. Um, but anyways, yeah. It, it, it feels like a first season in that it feels a little bit uneven. Some of it, it, it doesn't settle into a groove for me in this season of where it's trying to be a certain kind of show yet. Uh, but I really enjoy, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to keep watching it for sure. Um, part of, part of my hesitation, I think almost with it at first, isn't even its fault. It just happened to be that I also started watching another, another sitcom based in a small town this very same weekend with Schitt's Creek. So. Yeah, that's fair. I definitely, as someone who, I mean, I don't come from a town as small as Letterkenny or from what I've gathered of Letterkenny. And I come from Montana, so they would have called me a yank. But I definitely related to some of the small town aspects that come up in this show. Oh, yeah. No, this one of the things is this place, uh, Letterkenny, very much reminded me of... Uh, where I went to college in Dillon. Oh, yeah, I could definitely see. Wait, Dillon has a college? Yeah, yeah. Uh, University of <sighs> Montana Western. Go Bulldogs. <laughs> OK, yeah, that's but. Um... Actually, fuck them. Fuck the Bulldogs. I don't give a shit. I didn't graduate there, so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you feel the way I do about the Montana Grits. Um <laughs> But yeah, this is definitely like, let's look at small town life and I guess small town Canadian life. But honestly, anywhere. Now, now let me tell you a little bit something about Dylan and and how it reminded me and how I sort of related to Letterkenny, uh, especially as I started watching more the second time through. I am from small town, Montana. Very small town. Much smaller than Letterkenny. Mm hmm. Uh, there's little things you can pick up on when you're looking through this show and you're like, oh, this town would be at least eight to nine times bigger than the one that I'm actually from. But that's the thing. When I went to college in Dillon, that's how I described it to people. I'm like, oh, it's my hometown, except eight times bigger and with a college. Uh, Because there's certain there's certain weird characteristics that that come across all over the places and there's slight variations here and there. But one of the neat things when I went to college in Dillon is even though it was like a huge world opening experience for me, because before that, all I knew was a town of like 800 people. And then, I mean, on campus alone, there's twice that, you know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. because Dillon is still in a small town with, uh, one of the only equine programs in the United States that you can do as, as like a college program, it attracts a lot of other people that are also from small towns. So you get the whole range, you get small town people going to a small town for a small town college. Yeah. So we were, we'd all just sit around and swap all these little small town stories from, I mean, compared to, Compared to a lot of the folks that I was talking to, like I was from a fucking big town. Yeah. Like I'm I'm talking like these. I'm talking to some kids where it's like they had to go to the prom with their cousin because there's 11 kids in the entire high school. And otherwise, like you're not going. Yeah, I I definitely didn't. I've never been in a town that small, so it's harder for me to relate. But I don't know. I get the sense that 
Letter Kenny's like the size of Lolo, I guess. Anyone not in Montana, this is not going to make any sense to. I'm right. sorry, but it, it's <laughs> yeah, it, you know, the kind of town that there's one church, one bar, a couple of buildings. The dollar store seems like it's basically the grocery store for the most part and close enough. It doesn't come up so much in the first season, but close enough to a bigger city that if you need something, you just drive into the city. Mm-hmm. Um, these these kinds of towns are everywhere in Montana. I was going to say, and that's the thing, like Letterkenny felt. It felt like it came from a place of uh, being genuine in some way. Uh, it, it's like the, the most polished form of small town life that still is identifiable as small town life that I've ever seen. Well, and I know Kiso based it off his hometown, so it, it definitely is like a love letter to a place, even if it's making fun of it at the same time. Letter Kenny is interesting because it has that very genuine feel but it doesn't worry too much about realism at the same time. Oh, no. The the characters are fucking constant fast talking. The the way they interact with each other is very strange, but it's still so genuine in its oddity. The, that's the other thing that I think is going to keep me coming back is the writing is really smart for being able to write about and put these words believably in some dumb people. Mm-hmm. We, I, I think we can get into it a little bit better as we talk about some of the, the characters involved. I, I know that we were trying to figure out how we were going to talk about this show a little bit yesterday and decided we uh, breaking it up by social groups might be the easiest way to approach looking at the show in a little bit. So for the social groups here, I figure, especially in this first season, there are four main ones. There's the Hicks. Yes. There's the Skids. Okay. There's the hockey players. Yep. And then there are a few characters that kind of just fall into an other category. Because uh, there is Glenn, but there's not really any other Christians. And there is Gail, who doesn't quite fit into any of the others. She, yeah, she's not a Hick. She's not a Skid. Uh, there's the natives of experience. Oh yeah. And there's the natives that we meet in the final two episodes. Uh, although there's only one that really matters. Yeah. Tannis is the only one that really comes up. Uh, who do we want to start with? Let's I probably well, the Hicks. They're the probably main. the Hicks. Cause they're the main, they're the main. Basically. Okay. They're the focus First, of the show. Let me load up my list of characters. First, we have Wayne. Played by Jared Kiso. He is, I mean, not like, not only is he the main character, he's the creator of the show. He's one of the lead writers. He's the guy that made all of it in the first place. So he written and directed and starring Jared Kiso, a.k.a. Wayne, uh, the toughest guy in Letterkenny. So he's he's arguably our most main character, for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's his storyline and the way it was presented through this first season that kind of felt super uneven to me. Uh, the way in the first episode that they talk about him being 
the toughest man in Letterkenny, but the way his ex was good for him in a lot of ways, other than the fact that he stopped fighting, I kind of just felt like the entire writing of that first episode set it up so that it was going to be like a moral struggle throughout that first season on whether he was going to fight or not. But it's just the end of that first episode. He's fighting again. And then that's just kind of it. Um, a, a friend described it to me that in the early episodes, it kind of felt like Wayne was supposed to be the moral center of the show. Mm-hmm. And it still kind of is, but not as strongly as you would expect. Like Wayne is not always Right. Uh, he's a little weirdly conservative at times where he doesn't need to be. He is an interesting balance, I think, of the kind of old school tough guy, man's man, throw a fist if you need to. But they do that without him, generally at least, without him being misogynistic. He's not homophobic really at any point. The The first few episodes have some <laughs> your gay jokes yeah, but for the most part, this show does a pretty good job of not falling into that trap too often. Mm-hmm. I saw him as this like idealized version of what kind of the small town man is supposed to be, uh, while still being recognizable as that archetype, because, like you said, he's still. He still has these weird little things here and there, but without those, he kind of wouldn't be as recognizable as being from this small of a town and being from this this sort of people. Uh, what I love about Wayne is Jared Kiso's <clears throat> complete willingness to like, he doesn't just play him straight. He plays him so like over the top with like the way he moves. He almost always is like moving at the waist. His shoulders are always like really like broad straight his his movements are really intense in every way even though he like won't move at all and then suddenly he's just up and at i don't know there's it is probably the least realistic bit of acting but it is the one that like makes me laugh the most often he's very over the top deliberate in everything he does Mm -hmm. i dug it it took a little bit for me to get used to it uh, not a lot for me to get used to it because I'm, I mean, I watch comedy shows, whatever characters have quirks, but uh, it's definitely the thing that I think the the people I know who don't like Letterkenny, it's the thing that threw them the most that the main character is this really. Well, he's almost robotic. Yeah, robotic is a good term for it. Almost robotic, but that almost sounds demeaning for what he's actually doing. Mm hmm. Wayne's your typical man's man. He he likes drinking. He likes having a scrap. He likes choring and working on his farm, and he likes his dogs. Mm-hmm. He's real popular with the women, but especially in this early season, he is still getting over a breakup and is not that interested otherwise. Yeah, not quite yet. There's been there's been glimpses, but not quite it's, yet. It's kind of fun to see because generally in fiction shows of this kind, you either have them, this kind of character, like scoring with all the chicks a lot or in a like committed relationship. So seeing one, seeing Wayne be not ready for a relationship yet 
this early on to gives him a uh, not weakness, a, a level of humanity that yeah. otherwise I don't think Wayne would have had in this. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It's like the one crack in his armor at this point. Yeah, I'm excited to see where he goes. Like I said, I'm I'm still only this first season in, so I have mm-hmm. no idea where all of this ends up. But I will say most of the characters are pretty well defined in this first season. Like who they are stays pretty true, even when stuff changes. Uh, who else do we got? We got Darryl. Uh, let's go with. Well, yeah, let's go. With, we'll just go down the Wikipedia list here. Uh, we've got Derry or Daryl played by Nathan Dales. He is Wayne's best friend. He is. I think the quote from the first episode kind of sums it up of Wayne being like, I wish you weren't so fucking awkward, bud. Yeah. <laughs> um, Wayne is who every small town guy wants to be. It seems like Daryl is a lot closer to who a lot of small town guys are. Daryl and Squirrely Dan together. I identify a lot with Squirrely Dan, but I will get to Squirrely Dan. He's probably my favorite character on this show. I fucking love him. Daryl is well-intentioned, uncultured, uncomplicated. He's just kind of going through life and not sure what's happening through a lot of it. I feel like Daryl. Yeah, he's. And a little bit unfocused. He's the one in any conversation that will bring something outside into it. Mm-hmm. Which is needed because that's what sets up a lot of the the recurring wordplay and, and some of the recurring jokes and stuff. Because he brings up something and then they'll they'll run with it for a second and get off of it. And by the end of the conversation, bring it back around one more time to get in a jab with it towards one of them. Yeah. When I say when I say Daryl is uneducated, I don't mean he's dumb. He's just kind of a simple, straightforward guy. He, you know, went to school, but didn't I I doubt he's a character that ever went to college. Most of these characters are all just farmers who are happy farming. Daryl is just there to make strange observations for the most part. Well, now I I think for the Letterkenny universe, he could be considered dumb because I think there's a sliding scale Um, (laughs) because one of the things about this show is that there are absolutely dumb characters, but everybody is quick. Yeah, this this episode or the show is so fast paced. There's people that are dumb, but nobody's stupid. Yeah, that's actually a really good way of putting it. There, there's never any like slow, calm thought. It's just everything is moving, 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 moving. Uh, which I really appreciated. That reminds me a lot of a lot of other comedy that I really like. Anyway, uh, this show really reminded me a lot of The League at some points. Uh, it actually reminded well, it, me of Blackadder at some points. Oh, I can see that. I never thought of it, but I can see it. Uh, it's. A lot of times when you're doing kind of like small town setups, I think of stuff like Trailer Park Boys, which doesn't move at that same quick speed at all times. Right. Like a a lot of small town shows are a bit more sedate because let's be honest, a lot of small towns are kind of slow moving as fuck. Mm -hmm. But this one, 
the the balance between the high speed and the small town is pretty unique. But yeah, so I think I think you could qualify Daryl as being dumb for Letterkenny. At least of the Hicks, he's probably the dumbest of them. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, uh, I'd say between the Hicks, it'd be a toss-up between him and Squirrely Dan, but I think Squirrely Dan has at least more life experience to balance it out. Yeah. He he has what looks to be the most comfortable clothes to me at all times because he's almost always wearing his barn clothes, which is just like a jumpsuit. Mm-hmm. And I have worn those before, and I would wear those all the fucking time if I could get away with it because they're super comfy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I mean, I, there's not much, I think in this, especially in this first season, there's not much more to say about Daryl. So let's talk nope. about some Daryl is Daryl is mostly there for backup to Wayne. Uh, and then we bring Squirrely Dan, who I always feel a little bad for because he is the, you know, uh, Derry is referred to as Wayne's best friend all the time, but Squirrely Dan is right fucking there. Obviously, just as close. I always kind of like, oh, don't leave out him. Although, constantly calling each other good buddy. So, Squirrely Dan is probably my favorite part of Letterkenny. He is played by K. Trevor Wilson, who is apparently a stand-up comedian. I've heard his stuff is really good, but I've never heard any of his sets before. Okay. He plays a character that at first, I think, is really easy to write off as dumb not dumb, but like simple storyteller hick that every small town has. There's always someone that's the big storyteller, but especially in later seasons, you find out that he's much more rounded. Uh, it, I don't think it comes up in this season, but he goes to a women's study class religiously. And anytime anything about gender comes up, he starts quoting his professor, Trisha Hidge. Hmm. And so anytime something like misogynistic comes up in later seasons, Squirrely Dan's the one that's like, well, you know, Professor Trisha Hidge tells me that really this has come from like uh, he becomes the like person to confront the small town bigotries that come up. Okay, which is kind of fun because he's not the character you would expect that to come from. I just I I was just gonna say that I lost it in the last episode, and he's like, "Your sister's hot." There, I said it. I regret nothing. I'm too fat to run. <laughs> oh my god, that run. is that is probably the best sight gag in the first season of just him screaming that and then just take it off for like away. sixty yards and and as a large man who cannot run very far. <laughs> I really felt it at the moment that he was just like, oh, God. Oh, that was a bad Uh, idea. (laughs) Apparently, K. Trevor Wilson was almost in Jane Silent Bob reboot somewhere. Oh, shit. Uh, Didn't make it in. I I was reading a Facebook post from Kevin Smith, which is fun because our Kevin Smith episode dropped the day we're recording this, that he was originally supposed to, I believe, direct an episode of Letterkenny. And then he had his heart attack and everything Oh, changed shit. up because Smith is a big Letterkenny fan. OK, well, that makes Which, sense. It's Canadian. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. It's Canadian and it's got a similar like quick talking wit to it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the 
the dialogue is very similar. Uh, I w- actually, oh, here's a, I would describe the dialogue in Letterkenny as Kevin Smith meets Wu-Tang Clan. Because it's got the same sort of stream of consciousness ideas that Wu-Tang Clan sort of flows with in their raps. I don't know enough Wu-Tang Clan to agree with that, but I will take your word for it. Um, (laughs) But that actually sounds kind of amazing. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Anything else on Squirrely Dan? Not really. Uh, His his presence in his first season is much the same as Daryl's. He's kind of just there as backup, but... Yeah, he's he's a lot of fun because he is more likely to talk about stuff that the other characters are less likely to talk about. And anytime he just says, allegedly, allegedly. die a little bit. <laughs> uh, we won't drop too much into them, but the running gag of the boots and ginger and how they fucked an ostrich. Allegedly. Yeah, so good is such a good running gag. Uh, But I suppose this brings us to basically the last of the Hicks that have any role in this one with Katie, who is sister of Wayne Mm -hmm. and possibly the smartest person out of all of them. Probably the smartest person out of all of them. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to give her Uh, that. She's real hot. Very willing to wear skimpy clothing, but not be she's generally not objectified in a way that I like. Uh, she generally doesn't get into a scrap like the rest of them, although in multiple locations she kicks a woman in the nether regions. Mm-hmm. And it always like I, I know kicking anyone in the nether regions hurts, but damn, that looks painful every time she does it. Yeah, she got Tannis pretty good in that last episode. Oh, fuck. Uh, I don't think it comes up in this season, but she is openly bisexual. Oh, no, it doesn't is, come up in this in this season. I think it comes up in the first in between seasons. They always have a seasonal special. I think the next one is a St. Patty's Day one. OK, and I'm pretty sure it comes up there. Um, It's not a huge part of her personality, but she is. Katie is proudly sexual and she's unashamed of the fact that it's man, woman, multiple men, whatever, bring it on. Mm -hmm. In a lot of other small town shows, she would have been portrayed as a a slut, I guess. I don't even really like the word slut, but like in this one, it's not that it's just knows what what Katie does. Yeah. And she gets it. She is in a she'll get judged a little bit depending on who it is like they all give her a dirty look when she's like she can confirm that rat asses asses hairy like a rat's but but that's because yeah, I mean, it's, it's rat ass and not because she's sleeping around uh she is in a three-way relationship with riley and jonesy mm-hmm. or dating both of them or whatever the specifics are of that one it is never a big deal that's just how it rolls she is very loyal to Wayne and more loyal to Derry and Squirrely Dan as time goes on, although she is still pretty willing to bully the both of them. Yeah. Kind of a sisterly bully, not like a, you know, as as anyone who has a sibling can understand, there is bullying that goes along with having family. 
Well, I I mentioned it already, but part of the reason I like this show is because of how much it reminded me of the league, and they all have sort of that same relationship where they can just shit on each other all the time if they need to. And mm-hmm. uh, she um, did, she in a lot of ways reminded me a lot of Jenny from that show. So I will bring up one of the weaknesses I think of Letter Kenny here with Katie, and it's not Katie herself. All the actresses that they get are good actresses. Mm-hmm. But pretty much every woman in this show has basically the same body type. Almost every and it doesn't come up as much in the season. It comes up more as more female characters are introduced and just as more characters are introduced in general. But almost every woman on this show is ridiculously skinny and ridiculously hot. And I've been in a small town. That is not always the case. No, No. (laughs) you're lucky if you get one Katie. And it's, as I said, all the actresses are good. I am not, I'm not being mean to any of the people who are performing on this, but it's a little out of general casting every once in a while on this show. Mm. Unless there's much more to say about Katie, though, I think that's a good segue into Riley and Jonesy with the jocks. Yeah, uh, real quick, we briefly meet McMurray who is one of the other Hicks and uh, oh, that's McMurray, right. yep. his little sister. They We won't talk about it much here because they appear very briefly in this season. They become much bigger characters as time goes on. Okay. McMurray is the other big Hick. He's much, not so much in the season, but later on, he's kind of the piece of shit Hick that exists in every small town. Yeah. Um, and... Bonnie McMurray, his little sister, desperately in love with Wayne, yet another impossibly skinny, impossibly hot. Save me a dance, Wayne. Yeah. (laughs) Bonnie McMurray. (laughs) It's interesting. A lot of the jokes that became such a standard part of people who are fans of Letterkenny, I didn't realize weren't in this first season until I rewatched this season. Oh. Uh, Yeah, I was about to say, because... A lot of the things that I've heard from the show haven't come up yet. Some of them have. A lot of them have. They come, they, they come up a much more next season. So we'll get to that. Uh, but you're right. Let's skip up to the hockey players, specifically Riley and Jonesy, who we can't really talk about one without the other here. Because Riley and John, the Jonesy annoyed me so much at first, and I think they're supposed to. And they're so dumb. I also think that their dialogue is the most brilliant writing in this entire show. (laughs) They when I mentioned the stream of consciousness stuff before, they are the epitome of that happening in this show. And everything they say links to what the other one just said, sometimes in a stupid way, sometimes in a stupidly, ridiculously smart way. Um. And I kind of think that's what Katie sees in them. There's a couple times when, uh, especially in, I can't remember if it's the fifth or sixth episode. Oh, no. I think it might be earlier than that. Fourth episode? Anyway, when they're working out and they're describing all the shit that they're trying to get done, and it's actually really fucking complicated, really in-depth, like, workout shit. And she just starts smiling at it. There is an episode in one of the later seasons where they... They try to take steroids because they've plateaued, but they accidentally take Ritalin instead. Oh, shit. 
and it's them talking like they're on speed about the workouts that they're going to be doing. And they already are talking at such a fast rate and then they bump it up and they get crazy eyes. Look, it is such a good piece of acting on the part of these two. And it's interesting. I've watched some behind the scenes stuff as far as I can tell. Okay. First of all, I can't remember which one is which Riley or Jonesy, which one is the blonde one? Is it Riley? don't remember. <laughs> Cece is nodding that it is Riley, so I'm going to go with that. Uh, from what I can tell, the guy who plays Riley is pretty much just Riley. Okay. Like, it's, it's just straight up him being kind of a dumb hockey jock that can talk really fast. <laughs> it's got to be hard to do their lines, because more than anyone else, they talk. They don't just talk fast, but they, they're bouncing off each other so hard. It's insane. It's, yeah. their, um, their dialogue is insane. Uh, they are buffoons at best, but <laughs> they're, once again, like, they're so quick. They're so quick. And I, I actually watched this video that I kind of loved that was talking about positive masculinity and the characters they chose to represent it were Riley and Jonesy. Not because they're perfect, because... They're kind of idiot men that just exist to play hockey and for the big city slams. They mm-hmm. just they want to play hockey and hook up with girls. That's but the big fact city that titties. <laughs> big city titties, bro. Uh, but they are so they're so openly affectionate to each other. They're so unchallenged by each other. I mean, as I said, they're uh, that's right. They bro are team. both. <laughs> They are both dating Katie the whole time, and there's never, like, a weird love triangle. They just both are dating Katie Cat, and they both seem to really like Katie Cat. Um, I get the sense that they're cheating on her probably constantly with the Big City Slams, but... It kind of seems like that might be okay, too. <laughs> it's, it's hard to say. Uh, they are so dumb, so funny... There is no depth to them in this season. They, you know, largely spend their time making fun of, oh, God, what is the... the Shorzy? Oh, no, no it's the not other, Shorzy. It's the uh, other guy. Schmaltzy. Yeah. And just treating him like a complete piece of shit, even though it seems like they are the most useless people on the hockey team. Do they do they continue to be the most useless people? Like that's not a big spoiler, but like they do start working out in that episode. They somewhere in I think season three they become like the most important people on the hockey team and become like minor celebrities. Okay. Later like on, they end up playing on like a professional level. Like they're dumb and they're in it for the Sandos and the Slams. And it took Some me a nappies. while to find out Sandos and the Nappies. That they the nappies is literally naps and Sandos yeah. is literally sandwiches. They're just excited about food. It's the most relatable part about them. Oh, but when they decide to put the work into it, they actually become really good at what they do. They're just still super fucking stupid. Or dumb. You're right. Dumb, not stupid. Uh how much do we see Shorzy in this season? We don't. They yell at him a couple times off screen. Okay. So Shorzy and a slight we we do eventually meet Shorzy. We have never once seen Shorzy's face. 
he is played by Jared Kiso, played by Wayne, in a <laughs> wig. Usually somehow naked. I have seen more of Jared Kiso's butt than just about any other guy. And he jumps his voice up really high and just insults them fucking constantly. And he's like the one person that seems to really be able to make them angry. There might have been one time in this, but we usually when someone gives them like a really good burn, they'll kind of be like uh, Ashton Kutcher's character from that 70 show Kelso. They're just like, that was a solid burn, man. (laughs) Like, I'm impressed here. Uh, Shorzy is one of the ones that can actually make them mad. Shorzy, I think, is the where the line uh, give your balls a tug tit fucker comes from. Yeah, because he says it fucking constantly. Except he says it really high like this the whole time. (laughs) It's the weirdest fucking character. Uh, And then other than those two, the only one to come up in this first season of the hockey players, I guess, would be the coach. The coach is my most hated character in all of Letter Kenny. Something about coach just makes me so angry. <laughs> I uh, no discredit to the guy playing the coach, but I kind of felt while watching it that that role would be better serviced by Stephen Root. But I understand them <laughs> not being able to get Stephen Root for Letter Kenny, especially that early it's on. Fucking so. embarrassing. <laughs> it, it, it's again nothing against the guy. I just I find him extremely punchable. <laughs> And he's written to be that. He's just always weird and pissed and looking like he's about to have a psychotic episode. Uh, what do we got? Is that that's pretty much it for them, right? That's that's pretty much it. So I guess the skids would probably be next. I mean, in this first season, there's only one of the skids that really matter. That's yeah, Stuart. there's there's. There's the three skids, there's Stuart, there's Devin and there's Rold. Rold is not a huge part of the skids yet. Stuart obviously being the most important of them. Um, he's so messy in this first season. He's always so sweaty and pale and just really gross looking. Just you wording it that way makes me know that he gets less methy as time goes on. And that makes me happy because I kind of like Stuart. Yeah. Uh, as I mean, I live in Missoula. Missoula is not a hugely methy town, but I've definitely met meth heads before because you go to any small rural area in the world, especially on the North American continent, and you're going to end up finding some kind of methy people. And they're always sad because it's usually people who were originally kind of cool and then went pretty dark. And we see that a little bit with Stuart here. Uh, Katie calls him out in one of the seasons being like, you used to be pretty fucking awesome. And it's not charming anymore. Just being methed out. Mm-hmm. It's never charming. Meth is terrible. Fuck meth. But Stuart is so weird. He's possibly the smartest person in Letter Kenny. I'd agree with that, even just from what I've seen this first season. And he's so just strange. I just don't even know how to, like, describe him. Because, I don't know. He's methed out, but... He's also just kind of like a recognizable, like nerd and just kind of good kid that's just almost swept up with some bad every, shit. <laughs> yeah, almost every small town has the like raver kid that for some reason is really into raving, despite the fact that they live in bumfuck nowhere surrounded by cows. 
And Stuart's definitely that. When there was three of them was when I knew that this town had to be at least Dylan's size. <laughs> yeah, fucking right. <laughs> Stuart is very aggressive in this season. I mean, he's always strange and aggressive and always a drug dealer. Like, I'm not pretending he stops being Stuart. Mm-hmm. But he's so like the pale and sweaty kind of threw me a little bit in this one. They're always dancing in the park. They're hanging out in what I assume is his mother's basement. Some of the dancing, not bad either. Yeah, they're real intense with it. This actor, uh, Tyler Johnston, is very devoted to the like super creepy look, no matter what he's doing. He gave me Stuart doesn't have a whole lot this season. He gave me real uh, Danny Filth of Cradle Filth vibes, which uh, is a compliment. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, briefly, we have Devin, who is Stuart's right hand man. He is. I don't like Devin. Say I. <laughs> and he's not a huge part of it. Uh, what's interesting is I like Devin in the like post credit scenes that they have at the end of the first season. Mm. They drop that bit at the for the later seasons. They just put more time into the episodes themselves instead. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but where we see Devin there, where he's actually like wandering around being an act, like pretending to be an actor or reading and stuff is a much more human character than we get when it's just him being like this, it's strange. And then we have Rold, who is the weird, twitchy, openly gay member of the skids. Rold picks up. A, he's never a huge character. He picks up a much bigger role as the seasons go by, and he becomes one of the funnier characters as far as I'm concerned. OK, just because he's so fucking weird. Uh, I dug his little bit in that first episode where he's like, guys, this is weird. I'm gay. And they're like, look, we support you. Just he's like, oh, OK. And then jumps back in on it. I like that after they make a joke about Menergy and how that'd be a great name for a spa, he spends the rest of the season trying to get the Menergy spa to make going. Menergy spa. Yeah, that's <laughs> Menergy. That's it for the skids for now, right? I know more mm-hmm. come in later or at least one more, but. One more comes in, but uh, honestly, Stuart and Rold are the biggest of the skids. Rold, not yet, obviously, small. Uh, This leaves just two characters. Let's go with Gail first, played by Lisa Codrington. Codrington? No way I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm sorry. Gail might have been my least favorite part of this entire series. Interesting. I really like Gail because of the actress's just complete. She she is so 150 percent into the character and she's so fucking weird. And I think in a season, maybe it gets better as it goes on, but in a season that already felt disjointed to me, that didn't help. I guess I could see that. Gail is the super kinky, super sexual owner of Modine's, which is the local bar. Uh, She is routinely trying to get into someone's pants. 
And I don't even know how to, she, the way she talks, there's like a jutting of her jaw that she does all the time. That is so unique. And anytime they show her running, she's just like full on like body flailing. Yeah, she's giving 150%. I just... You weren't feeling that 150%? Nah, nah. And I think, <laughs> honestly, even by the end of this season, I might have been more okay with her. But like I said, in the in this first season where it already felt a slightly disjointed, a character who would then disjoint any scene that she was in kind of was not doing it for me. Mm-hmm. Uh for most of this first season, she's the only character of color, which, you know, it, it's nice to have more representation. I would have loved to see more of it. And they do get a little better as time goes on, but it is definitely there's something identifiable, identifiable with the one black person in your small town. Yeah, she does get the great line of she's trying to get into Wayne's pants like every scene she's in. But in this specific one. And she's like, have, uh, let's do a 68. You go down on me and I'll owe you one. And I'm like, fuck, Gail, that is the weirdest pickup line. I mean, uh, and I, I do want to point out, like, uh, Gail, what was her, her real name? I want to Lisa Codrington mm-hmm. uh, is black. But Tannis is that her actress, uh, T.O. Horn, uh, is half native. Mm-hmm. As I said, she's not the only, like, uh, Tannis comes in, but she doesn't come in until later in the series, into the season. So I said for most of the season, she's yeah. the only character oh, of yeah. color. Yeah, for most of the season. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, true. You did but, say that. But she's definitely not, and I don't want to leave out Tannis. And let's, I guess, jump to her. There's not a whole lot to say about Gail. Gail shows up, is uncomfortably sexual a lot, while <laughs> moving in weird ways. And that's who she is. And that's kind of okay. Like not every character needs to be the world's deepest person. Yeah. Uh, Tannis, we also don't get much of. She's from what? The next town over, basically. Uh, she She's from the reservation. Yeah. She's from the res. Uh, I believe it's the next town over because she goes to war with Letterkenny after getting screwed over by the skids. Mm-hmm. Because they buy... Yeah, they buy cigarettes off her, darts, and then sell them for 10 times the price. And when she calls them on it, they, they're like, oh, fuck it, whatever. We don't care. And so she goes to war with the whole town and ends up setting fire to the produce stand of Wayne's and the Hicks, which kicks up the whole, like, unites the town because Wayne was so proud of his new produce stand. Yeah. That was one of the things, especially by that last episode, that felt really genuine to me. Um, if somebody, when you're in that small of a town, if somebody from the next town starts some shit, it doesn't matter that it was the skids that really started the shit. You're all sitting at the same table by the time the time, by the time it's all over, because you're all from the same town and you just fucked up that yeah. other town. So, uh, if a small town, a small town will fight to the death amongst each other but the moment an outsider comes in the suddenly it is a united front mm-hmm. we'll go back to beating the shit out of each other later but it's our right to beat the shit out of each other not your right to beat the, beat the shit out of us 
Uh, yeah, pretty much. But there's not too much to her otherwise this season. Um, yeah, she is directly confrontational in the season that comes down a bit in later seasons, but she is one of the people most willing to call out the the oddity, I guess, of Letterkenny and to to confront. Like, for example, Wayne always starts with the same. Almost everyone starts with the same you know, greeting of how are you now? Good. And you not so bad. <laughs> she has no fucking time for that hick talk. And Wayne will just like uncomfortably keep going through the like rote of that's how you introduce yourself to people. Mm-hmm. You know, how are you now? Don't talk to me like that head. Pretty good. And you? Oh, not so bad. Um, <laughs> I I like her because she'll. And I, I because she's the most different out of all of them, because she's not from Letterkenny. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like a lot of small towns and I'm assuming most people who listen to this are people that know us and live in Montana or the area. But if you're someone from L.A., you will not necessarily understand how how one, how insulated small towns can be. And then two, you might be dating someone 40 miles down the road, 30 miles down the road or knowing people down there. Because otherwise it's just there's only like four families in the town. Yeah. When to back it up to like my time in Dillon, my high school nickname followed me to college because uh, other people from other small towns that my classmates partied with because there wasn't enough people to party with in our own town knew who Mm -hmm. I was just because of them. What was your high school nickname? Uh, Poof. Poof? Yeah, because of my hair. That's awesome. That's great. I love that. <laughs> so like I didn't have it for like two weeks at college and not that I was trying to escape it, but I was kind of curious if I could be a Tyler at that time because I was called mm-hmm. poof by everyone, including my family. But uh, one of the guys down the hall from me grew up in the town uh, an hour away. That was just a tiny bit bigger. And a lot of my classmates used to go party with him. So he knew exactly who I was as soon as I walked on the floor. And, and he's like, look, it's poof. And you're like, yeah. fuck. <laughs> yeah. Look, it's poof. All right. Cool. <laughs> I guess I'm poof still. Uh, and then the last of the characters that really comes up much here is Glenn. <laughs> Okay, so Glenn is involved in what I think might have been one of my favorite scenes of the entire season. Yeah. Yeah. Which is weird because it's in in the very first episode, but when they go to the when they go to the goddamn burning bush Bible study. Oh fuck, that is such an uncomfortable scene. The writing of that scene is so good though, because I don't think I even noticed everything the first time through. But when it, when Glenn's just sitting there going, he's like, and how good is God? And the entire crowd, because it's a Bible study, erupts. You can just sort of hear him say underneath their cheers and like, yeah, he's so good. Like, yeah, he's one of my favorite people. <laughs> or like, <laughs> or, he's almost my favorite person. Uh, uh... And then he starts talking about his girlfriend. I am really glad that they drop the girlfriend thing after the first because that made me really dislike Glenn at first 
that he's like brings up his beautiful girlfriend and a very lovely looking young woman. And then he's like, this is my blank canvas. I will mold you. I will blah, blah, blah. And he's just completely objectifies this poor girl in a very like clearly. And I've met the people who do this before the clearly gay, heavily Christian person who gets the kind of quiet, kind of bland, sweet girl girlfriend so they don't have to put any like actual effort into having that relationship. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and like he's much more openly gay throughout the rest, the rest of it, even by the second episode. Oh, absolutely. Um, I love uh, that. Cause it's set up for this. I mean, they're already going to the burning bush Bible study mm-hmm. and a uh, homegirl that was with Daryl, was already like sucking on Wayne's finger and stuff. And it was being heavily implied that also, this is also pretty true for someone who used to go to a lot of Bible studies, that a lot of them are kind of there just to hook up in a weird way. And Glenn in that little speech he's given about his girlfriend, he's like, yeah, she's my blank slate, like cardboard to be molded or whatever he says. And it's like, and I'm going to give her everything except Vaginal intercourse. That's right. Now, next up, the band is the Salty Treats. Oh yeah, there, there's so <laughs> many sex jokes, uh, and it, I fucking lost it. I'm like, that is amazing. <laughs> it is another place where I can offer a legit critique of Letterkenny, despite how much I like Letterkenny. It is somewhat unfortunate that their most primary LGBTQ character is so stereotypical gay. Oh, yeah. But at the same time, Glenn is such a weird, fun character that I kind of I really like Glenn at the same time that I am offering that critique. I would hate Glenn in real life, but he really reminded me of uh, Dean Craig Pelton in Community. Yes, I can definitely see that. Um, Fun thing, Jacob Tierney, who plays Glenn, is like the main director. He's like a showrunner with Jared Kiso. Oh, okay. So he's one of the most important people on the show. And then he'll just put on his, you know, uncomfortable looking or shorty shorts and go be kind of a creep for a while. (laughs) Very infatuated with Wayne. Kind of aggressively so in some moments of this first one. Uh, In Fart Book, which is not an episode I'm crazy fond of, but has some good moments of it. He's like, I'm friends with everyone, but Glenn. Or not Glenn, but Wayne. But Wayne. But I want to (laughs) be. You're like, whoa, calm it down. Loves his didgeridoo. Again, another annoying small town thing of there was there's always some guy who has discovered the didgeridoo at least in my experience I don't know or something like the didgeridoo and is proving how worldly they are by not playing it very well right (laughs) but he's the only one doing it oh yeah so no one else has a basis of comparison yeah Uh, Uh, my first the house that I lived in in college, we had a didgeridoo. 
and we would just hang out and make bad noises. I'm terrible at the didgeridoo, but I spent a lot of time making Digit. stupid noises with it. Yeah. More of a didgeridoo. Dibs on those didge. They're <laughs> doing their didge solo. That uh, in the first episode, they put the Christians as a click and then it never really takes off more. They just Glenn is the only one that sticks around. OK. At, at least, I mean, there's uh, he's not the only religious person on the show, but like when they in that first one of like in the town of Letterkenny or the town of Letterkenny is 5000 people. It has the skids, the hicks, the jocks. And the Christians, and then they don't bring up the Christians as much in the future. But in that first episode where he is clearly the leader of the Christians, clearly running the the youth group, the Bible study and all that. Mm-hmm. And the king of his little hill is a very relatable thing to small town. Agreed. That rounds out the main cast for this season, right? Yeah, uh, we briefly meet. Joint Boy in this season. Yeah, Joint Boy. Who is boy. never a huge part, but definitely shows up. Um, I like Joint Boy. As I said, we meet Bonnie McMurray briefly. Those are, I think, the only only ones that appear more often that show up in the season that we didn't really cover. Tannis has her two like sidekicks, but they I I've watched the show several times. I could not tell you what their names are. Yeah, I just remember them barking, and that's about it. Yeah, they're they're her muscle. Uh, there are the two other skids that never get lines. The the blonde guy with like a huge beard, and the other one I've forgotten about already. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we mostly went through this on characters, which didn't reveal too much. But what was your favorite? Do you have a favorite episode or a favorite scene from this first season, having watched it for the first time? Uh, probably my hands down favorite thing from this first season is the cold opening for episode two, where you have uh, Wayne with the, you know, heard a couple nuts nutsacks talking about hockey down the other day. And it cuts over to Riley and Jonesy and it's their whole big city titties thing. And it at the end of it, it cuts back to Wayne and he just sits there with his puppies, just fucking speechless, like. What else am I supposed to say about that? Like, you heard everything. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think those are actually his dogs. Oh, awesome. Because I've seen pictures of, like, Jared Kiso's Instagram, and a lot of them are just him hanging out at... I don't know if the puppies are, but the... The dog, I think his name is Gus, the... He has, like, at the table a lot, and he often has him, like, an arm lock and is playing with him and stuff. There's oh, lots yeah. of pictures of just Jared Kiso hanging out with that dog. Okay. I think I have to give my favorite to the, just the very concept of the super soft birthday party. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty great. I, I fucking love the whole thing. I do plan on throwing a super soft birthday party for my birthday if we're able to do birthday parties this year. Yeah, super soft birthday <laughs> party. You know, go to the dollar store and get like cheap, like, boas and... Tiaras and whatever and make I would have totally made my friends back in the day unicorn cakes and stuff so I'm totally down for a super soft birthday party fuck yeah man we'll have a great super soft birthday party Uh, I do love also where he gets in the scrap with joint boy beats the shit out of him and then like goes up you want to join or you want to come to a super soft birthday party oh yeah I really liked that Uh, 
I, I do like that the moment that the scrap is over, for the most part, so is the grudge. Uh, that is, again, I know I keep being like, this is true to a small town, but that's just, it's so accurate to just, in general, small towns. Well, and it was a, whole show. It was a big character moment for Wayne, because right before that fight happens, he has the chance to not fight. And it's mm-hmm. too important to him to be the toughest man in Letterkenny. And his family knows it's important to him, so Katie, like, gives the okay for the fight. But it doesn't mean, like, he has anything against the guy. Like, it wasn't like the guy was running his mouth like the other guy was. It was... They had a they had a cool little moment where they had a, a commonality because of what happened in the first episode. And so when it was all over with, that that's it. It's over with. Mm-hmm. Oh, that just makes me think of because at the first mo- uh, first episode where they get into the fight where he finally gives in and starts fighting, the music starts playing. And I don't remember who. That what that song is, but I really liked that song and I looked up the Letterkenny soundtrack. It's surprisingly good. Yeah, there's some and good ones mixed in there. It's much more varied than you would expect from small town Canada TV show. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of techno hip hop, which isn't really my scene as much, although some of it was decent. But it's another one that I've put on the soundtrack before and just let it play on shuffle and not been unhappy about my choice. Yeah, I could see that. I might have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Any any last thoughts on uh, Letterkenny here? Uh, just that I'm going to have to watch some more. Like I said, it reminds I, me of a lot of other things that I already like. I definitely liked this, even if there were parts that I weren't as hyped on. But it oh, it's seemed, not a perfect it, show by any means. It's just fun. It seemed even by the end of that first season that it was starting to come together more. So I'm super excited to keep up with it and see where it goes. Mm-hmm. I love that they end on the cliffhanger of Wayne being so clearly the toughest guy in Letterkenny. And the final scene is him getting punched and falling over. Mm hmm. I definitely want us to do a season two episode later, but you know, later we don't, we'll give it some time. We do this every week. We have plenty of time to find or to get to that one. It is, if you are interested in watching it, it is created by Crave TV. It is currently airing on Hulu. I don't know if it's on any actual cable shows. It is not hard to find online. If that is your thing. Uh, so what do we got now? Ingesting? Or not ingesting, recommendations? Uh, what do you got for recommendation this week? Oh, you go first, because you already had one, and I just realized that I did not okay. set one up. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned earlier that I had one other main thing that I ingested this weekend, and I was going to save it for recommendation, and that is the movie Booksmart. Booksmart came out just last year. It is the first directorial effort from Olivia Wilde, who might be more known as 13 from House or as the really pretty chick that was in Cowboys and Aliens. Okay, I know the name Olivia Wilde and I have heard of this. It was. Isn't it kind of a raunchy comedy, but like with it's a it's a raunchy female comedy. Um which we don't get often enough. It's two girls who, through high school, focused on their studies so that they could go into the and get into the colleges that they wanted and be able to achieve their dreams, uh, decide on the night before graduation to go and have like a crazy night out at a party, which is a pretty cliched mm-hmm. story uh, at this point. And honestly, all the trailers... But it's a true story yeah. a lot. Like, it... it... <laughs> 
um, all the trailers make it honestly the the movie is best described as uh, like a gender swapped super bad, but it is also so much more. Um, I, I that's good because I don't care for super bad. It, the trailers were good enough that I wanted to watch the movie. Then a few of the different movie podcasts I listened to, a lot of the hosts were really going nuts over this movie to the point where some of the hosts, like I know that I don't have really uh, a lot of overlap in our tastes. We have some, but uh, the amount that they were going on about it, I was like, well, I'm going to have to check this out sooner than later. Mm -hmm. Uh, Had the opportunity to this weekend, watched it with my girlfriend and I came out of it. It was weird. I came out of it not like I liked it, but not as high on it as I kind of expected to from the praise I heard. Yeah, it sometimes happens when something's recommended so fucking highly that you're like, it's going to be amazing. And then you watch it. Even if you like it, you're like, oh, that was good. And that being like that being said, like I'm I'm still saying like they were recommending it at like a nine point four and I liked it at like an eight point seven. You know what I mean? Like. We're still in the yeah, same still- range, but I was kind of wondering what what it was that I might have missed, or if maybe our tastes were truly just that different. Um, then, as I was like taking a shower later on afterwards, and still just thinking about the movie and thinking about the fact that I was going to be bringing it up on this podcast and wondering what I was going to say about it, I started realizing that I could say a lot about that movie for a long time. Because it did a really good job of conveying a lot of emotional material. And oh, that's good. Like I mentioned that like the story is like these girls need like decide that they need to have this weird, crazy night out. But it's kind of spurred along by something that's not that cliche. Um and in a very general way, because this is a recommendation and I want people to watch it, um, it's kind of they find out that they're not as special as they think they are. Oh, God, that is the most painful moment of realization. And the rest of the movie is a lot about... I didn't even realize it at first. It took looking back on the movie for me to realize it, but it's a lot about just personhood and being yourself and recognizing others as other people and realizing where how much you can do and how much you can't do Hmm. and just sort of being a more realistic look in at some of these relationships and the nature of some of these relationships including friendships and how even those can have things in them that aren't good but that doesn't mean that you need to throw them away and yeah not everything has to be perfect but can still have value um even when you come to that weird realization that it isn't as perfect as you thought it was the girls in it do an amazing job it's really fun uh as an outside she's not one of the leads but just as an outside hook to bring some more people into it i will point out that billy lord is in it oh uh, in a really fun role Did not know that. as a super crazy party girl that is really interesting and makes things a bit more surreal than they normally would have been in that movie. <laughs> uh, but I 
I might have come away from that movie thinking of it as like an 8.7, but even in just the day and a half since I've been able to sit and think about it more, it's up to at least like a 9.2 for me now. Wow. That's always fun when you're like, this was fine. And then like a day and a half later, you're like, wow, that movie was fucking amazing. I don't know if I'll ever get to truly saying it's amazing, but as high up as it is, is just stupid amazing for it being like a first directorial effort too. So I, I, I don't know, man, if you're saying a 9.2, I think that qualifies. Yeah, but I rate <laughs> things on a scale from like seven to 10, not one to 10. So, all right, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Let's see. I'm going to go with Archie by Mark Wade. Okay. Because I had a fun conversation about this this week. I, an old friend that I've fallen out of touch with hit me up and was like, hey, recommend me some comics while I'm quarantined. And one of the ones I recommended was Archie by Mark Wade. It is Archie, like Archie and Jughead and Betty and Veronica Riverdale set up. But updated, not like Riverdale TV show where everything is weird and crime drama and Archie's having an affair with his teacher. Mm-hmm. But much more of the modern age, but it's still, you know, Archie gets a bucket stuck on his head and goes rolling down the hill, which leads to a mansion falling apart. Like it, it's still the same kind of slapstick comedy that Archie always had, but letting the characters have modern relationships as opposed to people in the 1940s arguing about who gets to go out with Archie for a, a soda pop. Right. And I, I recommended it because I was mad about how good it is because it's Archie. Who the fuck gives a shit about Archie? <laughs> but I picked it up because Mark Wade is one of the most reliable comic book artists out there. And Fiona Staples, the original artist, did uh, Saga, which is probably the greatest comic book I've ever read in my life. So I was like, well, that creative team alone makes me give it give it a shot. But it's going to be Archie, so it's not going to be my thing. And I read it and was like, God damn it. <laughs> super good and the you know I, I recommended it to my friend and like a day or two later she gets a hold of me and she goes why the fuck do I care about Archie and I'm like yes I was not alone um, it, it's fun to have a high school drama it has drama it has sad points but it is not so mired in the let's be honest in the CW uber drama mm-hmm. I was going to say, even f- this is another instance where even before hearing you recommend it, I've only heard good things about this run myself, so I'll probably have to check it out. And any time they're like, oh, here's going to be a very special episode where a character gets injured, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, fuck, that's going to suck. And then I was like, god damn it, this was really good. I have all the feels. I have emotions about Betty and Veronica. What has happened to my You're life? Like, why? God damn it, Why? <laughs> Also, I will never in my life understand what Archie sees in Veronica. She's a terrible rich bitch. (laughs) Betty is right there being awesome. And you're looking at the annoying rich girl. Come on, Arch. Damn it, Archie. Uh, So that's going to be my recommendation for this week. Hell yeah. Well, you already mentioned it earlier, but we do have next week planned where you get introduced to what we do in the shadows which I believe will be the first time I've seen a Taika Waititi movie that is not Thor Ragnarok, which I've seen about 15 times. Uh, I'm super excited for you to watch that because I love that movie and I own it multiple ways, just not any way that you can watch it, unfortunately. (laughs) 
yeah, I only have a DVD player. And you're like, I've got like 15 other ways. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I have I have the Blu-ray and I own it on digital because I had to buy it twice. But, but I got my hands on it. We, we will be watching it. I'm excited. Good. In order to listen to that episode, it'd be awesome if you guys hit subscribe. However, you're listening to us right now. Yeah. Uh, the more people subscribe, the more people uh, subscribe or review, subscribe and review, the more we get into, I don't know, databases. I don't computer well. I shouldn't be telling this part of the story. All the algorithms. Algorithms. Uh, Subscribe, (laughs) rate and review if possible. That also helps in a big, bad way. Uh, You can check out all of our back catalog over on our website, www.generalnerdcast.com. Uh, any other news that ever comes up that we don't ever have news, but if should if it come up, we'll also be there. <laughs> also, while you're at the website, you can contact us through there, emailing us generalnerdrypod at gmail.com. And you can click the links up at the top because we are part of the Earworm Podcast Network, uh, where you can go check out the other shows, including listening to me talk about horror movies on Fried Squirms, or listening to Zach talk about war gaming and war philosophy from back in the day on the art of war gaming. We also have more stuff coming down the line. We keep talking about that. We keep not having it. It turns out that a quarantine makes it harder to make new projects, but keep an eye out on that space. You'll find more. Yes. Earverm.com will be the easiest way to check out all of those upcoming projects. That is E A R V V Y R M. I think I, Oh, and uh, general nerdery across the social medias. Yeah, we're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. I swear to God, we'll get the Instagram one of these days. We are not yet on Instagram. Uh, For someone who is on social media as often as I am, I'm really bad at like running social media stuff. But that's why there's two of us. Uh, Anyways, we really appreciate you listening. We really hope to hear from you. Yeah, tell us how we're doing. Anything is helpful. However you want to. Hopefully positive, but if it's negative, we'll take it. Yeah. Uh, in the meantime, we're your generals of nerdery. I'm Zach. I'm Tyler. Dismissed. Dismissed.